Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. This week's guest is a writer, entrepreneur, speaker, investor. I mean, there are just so many ways to describe him. He began his career in tech before the economic downturn sort of ran him out of town, and he went from living in a penthouse to his parents' house. He went on to write a book called Hunting Discomfort, Leadership Through the Pain Points, and he's going to be a speaker at this year's Construction Leadership Conference. Please help me welcome Sterling Hawkins. So I was wondering, what is the last song that you had stuck in your head? The last song I had stuck in my head. You know, that one, the, the earworm, that you just like found yourself humming all day, despite the fact that you, you didn't want to be. You know what's really funny? I heard it somewhere, and I couldn't get it out of my head. It was that memory song from the musical Cats, way back. That one's brutal. How funny is that? No, that one's a brutal one to get stuck to, because it won't, it won't go away. It's a sticky, sticky song. Yeah, yeah, I was at the gym this morning, you know, trying to pump out a couple of sets, stay healthy. And I've got like memories going through my head. I'm like tearing up a little bit. I'm, like <laughs> I'm sorry. The visual of that's pretty awesome. I, I tell this story. So I, I used to be in a, uh, a motorcycle club, like a traditional, like, you know, bunch of guys wearing leather jackets, motorcycle club. But I am not your traditional motorcycle club kind of guy if there was something to be said for a, what a traditional motorcycle club person is. But yeah. we pull up to this red light and the, uh, the president of my club is like, has these speakers and he's blasting ACDC. And then he, he yells over to someone else who's like blasting some Metallica. And I have earbuds in because I don't have speakers on my, my bike. And they yeah. yell over and they're like, hey, Kirk, Kirk. And I'm just like, you know, they're like, what are you listening to? It was like Matilda soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, what the heck is wrong with you? I'm like, so many things. But like, so you know, we have ACDC, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Tim Minchin, Matelta soundtrack. And that's just how I roll. So, you know, we, we all got something. I, I think some music from our childhood or from life or just because it's so moving, I think just stays with us sometimes. And I don't know, I'm a big fan of whatever's lighting that fire inside. You should do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to talk to you, uh, you know, obviously we want to talk a little bit about, you know, your book and, and your hashtag and, and kind of your experience, but I've read your bio and I, I kind of know a little bit of your story, but could you give me, just give me the, the short version of, you know, it was 2008, you had, you were a tech entrepreneur and what happened? Tell me, tell me the quick version. Yeah, it was actually 2004. So I grew up a fifth generation retailer in my family's supermarket and right out of college, I thought, you know what, I want to do something that capitalizes on this knowledge, this life that I've had, but it's time to spread my wings a little bit. So I started a retail software company with my dad. Long story short, we sell it to a group in Silicon Valley where it becomes part of this like Apple Pay before Apple Pay. We raise hundreds of millions of dollars, multi-billion dollar valuation. Have you seen that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. It was like living a scene out of that movie for a while. Models in the office, parties at the Four Seasons. And that could be really great or not so much, but like, I'll, uh, yeah. Well it, well, it was the great part in the beginning. And then the not so great part, when the housing market collapsed, our funding dried up and the entire company went bankrupt. Half a billion dollars gone. 
And it led to one of the hardest, darkest points of my life because not only did the company collapse, but so did I. And I end up playing out the said country song of a story going from penthouse, living the dream in Silicon Valley to my parents' house. And it was then that I made this decision. It was a very coherent decision that I'm not going to go down like this. I've been avoiding, denying, and just surviving for so long after that company collapsed, I decided my life is now going to be going after those things that make me uncomfortable to be free from them. And the rest is kind of history. No, I I really like that. Now, I do have so many follow-ups, but you know, your, your hashtag is, is no matter what. What does that mean? I mean, what, what does that speak to? What is, the, what is the message behind no matter what? Yeah, well, in that time at my parents' house, I, I'm down and out, six figures of personal debt. No matter what was just a personal mantra, honestly, to get me out of bed in the morning, to call my creditors, just baby steps, one foot in front of the other. And I recall there was this thing my mom said when I was younger. She said, the way out is through. And I thought, you know what? I don't have anything to lose. I'm going to put this thing to the test. And the thing that scared me most was speaking in public, believe it or not. Kind of ironic, given what I do today. I think I've always been shy, but it was something about that company collapse and my identity being somewhat lost in that whole process that I couldn't do it. It was debilitating. So I end up applying and getting accepted to speak at this conference in Singapore that went incredibly well, was actually the beginning of my entire speaking career. And I was like, my mom was right. The way out is through. We just have to go through no matter what. So obviously, you know, you half a billion dollars on one day and a hundred thousand, you know, six figures in personal debt the next day. Yeah, it wasn't quite that fast, but yeah. I assume it wasn't a day, but, but, you know, through, through, uh, having lived through some things like that, it always happens, feels like it happened much faster than it did. And I don't want this sound question to sound as trite as it's going to, but any regrets, what would you have done differently? Nobody has a crystal ball, but did you handle it correctly? No, it's not a regret because I wouldn't understand what I know now without it. Right? Like I'm, I'm grateful the experience and all the pain that went with it. But the mistake that I made is when the company was collapsing, is I started to withdraw from people and communities. I got invited to these fancy trips and these big dinners. And for a while, I would continue to go until I racked up all this debt and I wouldn't ask for help. People would say, oh, how you doing, Sterling? What are you doing? And I would say, quote unquote, I'm fine. And it was really being embarrassed. There was a lot of shame going from that success to the failure that I had run into. And it wasn't until I really bottomed out that I said, you know, I'm doing this to myself. I've been avoiding discomfort of sharing that I need help sharing what I've been going through. And it was like, this did happen in a day. As soon as I made that switch, things started to change. Okay. So obviously back to the, you know, there, there's no crystal ball and nobody saw the, the, I mean, other than the big short guys, nobody saw the housing, like, other than the movie about the people that did see it coming. Nobody saw right. it coming. 
How do you, you know, you are a successful tech entrepreneur, you know, building this empire, if you will. And oh, thank you. There, there's, you there's, make it sound better than it feels on a day to day. You know, basis. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but there was no way to see the dark horse coming. How do we prepare as business owners, as 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 contractors, as laborers, like you know, to we are the the association of union constructors. We right. are 14 labor unions. We are we are 1,800 contractors. We are millions of individual tradesmen and laborers, and you know. 3D printing roads affects how the pavers jobs, they, like there are things yeah. that are out of our control. How do you yeah. chase discomfort when the industry is moving around you outside of your control? How do you handle that? Totally. Well, there's some good news. Have you ever stubbed your toe before? Never, not right. once. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody stubbed their toe, unless you're some kind of a super person, right? But that's physical discomfort, and maybe you've been through emotional discomfort, or some of the folks listening. You know, and a new tool gets launched, or a new technology, it makes you feel a little bit emotionally uncomfortable. Turns out, physical, mental, or emotional discomfort, the brain and body process it almost identically. Research is out of University of Michigan. So much so, you can take acetaminophen like Tylenol, and it will help you with emotional pain. Now, all the disclaimers about that. I'm not a doctor. It's not a biohack. I don't suggest you do that. But what I do suggest is that if where we meet discomfort is the same anywhere, we could grow our capacity to deal with it everywhere. It's a muscle you can build. You go to the gym to build your biceps. Well, you hunt discomfort in no matter what form it's in. If you want to grow your resiliency, your breakthrough results, your growth in any capacity. So as these new tools, these new innovations, these new disruptive things that are happening out there in the world, we're preparing ourselves every single day as we open ourselves to discomfort of any sort. Okay. No, I, I like that. I actually had recently read that study, so that's an interesting oh, cool. thing to no. So I uh, th that's that's a cool thing to reference, and I I like that. But so I guess the question is, where is the line between hunting discomfort and creating drama? Like, <laughs> like. Because I, I also, I, I yeah. we've all seen the person that like, dude, you are making this way harder than it needs to be. Like, yeah. there's one thing like, hey, don't, you know, lean into the skid, you know, chase, chase the discomfort slash don't be the problem. Where, where's yeah. the line between those two? Yeah. Well, I think the important line is between discomfort and real danger. There is a difference between those two things. I'll give you an example. I went skydiving a couple of years ago with my sister for her birthday she's like surely you're the no matter what guy you got to jump out of a plane i'm like okay let's give it a shot and if, i don't know if you've been skydiving but i like was six terrified. weeks ago for the first time six weeks like literally like two months ago for the very first time yeah and how was it i was fine all day all day long i was like yeah. this is gonna be great this is then i got on the plane and my heart stopped and then i'm watching yeah. we're climbing at 45 degree angle and i'm like what are we doing what are we doing what are we doing and yeah. then the door opened yeah. i was like this is the stupidest thing i've ever agreed to and they told yeah. me at the beginning they were like you cannot be sarcastic when they ask the question this is not the time to joke when they say are you good you have to be honest we cannot make you yeah. jump if you don't. and so he they're like are you good to go and i look at him and i'm like and yeah. all of a sudden I get my 230 pound person thrown out of, and I'm like, uh, I guess this is just what we're doing now. Like, you know, at this point I am surrendering 
to yeah. gravity and the parachute and experts and just going to let and we're just going to see how this goes. But yeah. I was fine all day. I was fine on the way down. But that three minutes of, of approaching the ledge. No, I thought I was going to die. Yeah, it's exactly the same for me. It was terrifying. I could hardly speak myself going up in that plane. But I did some research afterwards and I found out that the risks of jumping out of that plane are far, far lower than just driving there. Right. Difference between the discomfort you're experiencing and the danger that's actually there. And as you can draw that line, you can understand what's happening in the laws of physics and hard reality. You can start to separate. Hey, am I just being dramatic here or is there something I actually need to worry about and deal with? So let me try to draw that back to something very real for for our listeners, you know, our industry is on the verge of a just generational shift. The the, sure. the union membership is at an all-time low. It's right around 10%, depending on, for all, not just the trades, for all union membership across all the, it's, it's right around 10%, depending on who you ask in the survey and the study and stuff like mm-hmm. that, which it's been as high as 40 to 60% as 50 years ago. That is beyond discomfort. That is terrifying. That is, that is a that is paradigm altering. How do we fix that? How do we get people into the trades? How do we differentiate, like you said, that danger from that discomfort and, and operate in a, in in a pretty stark reality? Yeah. Oftentimes I think many of us are focused on the finite goals that we have. How many members do we have? How large have we grown? How many projects are we on? And those are really important. We have to pay attention to those things, but they're not the most important things, at least according to uh, German American theologian, Paul Tillich. He says, we spend almost all of our time on those finite things, but what's actually important to us are the things that no matter what happens in the world, they can't be taken away from us. Things like love, joy, peace, and gratitude. Those are the infinite no matter what's things we can call on any times. And as we can align our lives and our businesses and the impact that we're making in the world with what's ultimately important to us, those finite things really start to work out in much, much better ways. Does that make sense? Yes. I understand what you're saying. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to make it fit in the context of, 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 so what's the action item? You know, so for from the from the Joey with the hammer, I get it. Yep. I need to worry about my kids, my wife, my life. Totally. I, I get it. That totally. their discomfort is: can I put food on the table? Got it. Yep. You go up to the contractor, and uh, you know, you go to the contractor, and he doesn't have one table to put food on. He has forty 14. tables to put food on, and it's like, uh, I, you know, I was an entrepreneur at, for for many, many years. And I, and people were talking about how, like, you know, you need to just worry about putting food on your tables. Like you don't even begin to understand. I have 10 tables to put food on. If I decide not to come into work, yeah. lots of people suffer beyond just my children. Yeah. So we now have this next group that isn't just Joey with the hammer. It's now this contractor that has 40 tables or 400 tables to put on. Or then you go over to the labor unions and they have hundreds of thousands that they need to worry about these larger groups. How does chasing discomfort work when you aren't, when you are worried about a statistical large group and not just your no matter what, but your groups no matter what, your tribes no matter what, your industries no matter what. Yeah. 
Well, when people see my book, it's called Hunting Discomfort. Some of the like snap judgments I get sometimes are sterling. Look at my business, my bank account, my family, my relationship. I don't need to hunt discomfort. I'm surrounded by it. Comfort. I'm <laughs> it's surrounded right by here. It. Yeah. Right. Right. Like look at look at the world, Sterling. Who needs more discomfort? And and I get that the world's an uncomfortable place, and there are things that we need to do not only for ourselves but for those that are dependent on us, those that we serve. And my answer to those folks are always the same, which is. If you're surrounded by discomfort, you're not hunting it. You're living with it. You're probably rationalizing and placating why you have those uncomfortable things in your life. And as you can get to the root of those things, understand where that discomfort is coming from, it starts to free you from it. Not circumstantially free, not like when I have this much money in my bank account or when you know my kids go to college or whatever it is, but truly free because it's not based on anything except you. I like that. I like some of that. I see how that applies. I, I know, I, I definitely understand. I see the wheels turning over there. No, it's, well, it just because there's a lot of this kind of, this kind of, of, of talk, you know, the, the inspiration slash uh, motivation, however, whatever word you want to, that makes absolute yeah. sense on a personal level. But, but I know personally, and I mean, I know you do too, just from, from the story you told at the beginning, I know personally what it's like to, to know it's not about my discomfort. It's about will braces get on my employees' kids? Like, how do I, it's not about my discomfort. It's not about my, it's about making sure that I'm providing not just for me, but I'm providing for my people, for my industry. And totally. I, I totally hear what you're saying, but I'm trying to figure out how we can make that something that these guys can act on. Like, what does that look like? How do you chase discomfort when it's not your mortgage on the line? Yeah. Well, discomfort is very personal just by nature, right? And I think one of the traps of it is understanding it is distinct and different from going through it, right? And I think that's where a lot of these influencers and memes go wrong. Like it's all positivity and they're saying the right things, but they forget, hey, wait a minute, I need to slow down for a moment. I need to understand what that discomfort is about my life or the discomfort, which might sound like my fear of being able to provide for those people that are dependent on me. And when you slow down and you start to feel some of those uncomfortable feelings, it starts to let them move through you. So you're forever free of them. So I, I think one of the, the tactics is to slow down, understand what it is that maybe you've been avoiding, denying or surviving, reconcile that and then look forward to say, hey, what action do I need to take next from the new place that I'm in? Okay. And you All think right. that works, you would think that works not just on a, that makes absolute sense from an interpersonal and personal level, but you think that works from yeah. an organizational, you know, to the CEO of a company, you work, think that works for, for organizational shifts, not just personal shifts? No question. You know, the work that I do is not only with individual leaders, but oftentimes with the executive teams of companies. And the first step always is let's identify the discomfort and the limiting beliefs that are holding us back. I believe that 
you know, you, me, all of us have this infinite potential. And the only reason it's not unleashed is because we have these limiting views about what we're capable of, what's possible in the industry, the impact that we can make in our business and our lives. And as we can set those things aside, we can start to unleash something that's much greater than anything in this circumstantial world. We connect with inspiration or source energy that starts to draw us forward and becomes not like a PR mission that some marketing group has put for the company, but something that lives true in the hearts of the leadership. And that serves like a ripple effect out into everybody that not just works with those people, but interacts with them anywhere. No, I, I really, I, that one really resonates with me. I, one of the things that uh, I always try to tell people, and it makes people very uncomfortable very quick, is that it's never about the money. Like, it's always about the money. It's never about the money. Right. Ever. And even my boss, who will absolutely listen to this and come and talk to me later when he hears this episode, yeah. it's never about the money. And we can, you can prove it. You, there's, it. there's always something that drives money can buy it, and yeah. money makes it feel better. Money makes the discomfort go away, but there's always, there's always more to it than the money. Totally. Yeah, it, it's our views of how we're assessing ourselves, others, and the world. And as we can sit back and reflect on what those views are, I promise you, the money comes. And it's it's not this like woo-woo feel good, like, oh, just you listen, watch that movie, The Secret, and your dreams will come true. I don't mean it like that. Like this is hard work to sit down and face some of those beliefs that you have, core beliefs, axiomatic beliefs is hard, it's uncomfortable, and at the same time, it is transformative for everybody that does it and everybody that's around them. No, I really like that. So, I mean, in just kind of wrapping up, but just one yeah. kind of sort of last Hail Mary of an open-ended question, it can go kind of anywhere, of that. Oh, great. So we're, we're stepping into the unknown right here. Huh? Yeah. Again, I, I start off with a ridiculous question. And I end by throwing you off a cliff. It's just kind of yeah. like and, and I, I want to see it's open ended to the point of not in, like you said, not the memes, not the platitudes, not the feel goods, not the not the the hashtags, but the actual yeah. action tomorrow yeah. when someone listens to this and they go, I listen to it when they wake up. What do they do? What's the verb? Not the feeling, not the thought. What do they, what's the first step? What's the first action? What does it look like? What do they do? I got a great one for you. Hit me. So every day, do at least one thing, no matter what. Now, it could be a big thing or small thing. Could be call your mom, could be make cold calls, could be talk to a client or get whatever piece of work done. But if you wake up in the morning, and you say, I'm going to do X no matter what, and then you do it, it starts to free you of the circumstances of the world. And you start to know yourself as the kind of person that can do things that you really committed to doing. You don't even have to do hashtag no matter what. You can just say no matter what. I <laughs> Awesome. No, I, I appreciate that. Well, Sterling, it has been great talking to you. I, I look forward. You are going to be one of our speakers at the Construction Leadership Conference in Savannah. I am. I can't wait to join you. No, I, I'm, I'll be excited to meet you in person and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 